Welcome to episode 27 of the Perfect Par Podcast. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Sasha McKenzie. We discuss different areas of golf biomechanics, including ways you can increase your speed, improve your consistency, and play better golf. Here's the episode. So what are some things that you see commonly in people's mechanics that put a limit on their speed or things people can do that would in mechanically that would increase their speed? The uh, biggest one, and this would be, you know, kind of like third or fourth down the list is some people have mechanics that are so limiting that mm-hmm. it makes it tough to add speed, you know, and, 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 and casting lack of lag. You know, um, I know yeah. some people like to twist that into a dirty word, but the reality is, is that it's pretty darn important, um, um, is the big limiting factor. So, um, if I look at the video, I want to see, you know, let's say you're a person that lifts the lead heel and you probably should do that a little bit with, with the stack. I want to see that lead heel plant in the video before your club head finishes making the backswing. If I see that, and and ideally, let's say you don't even lift your lead heel, I want to see the the lower body, the pelvis and the thighs start to move in the downswing direction. And then I look up and hopefully that club head hasn't moved yet. Ideally, it's still going in the backswing direction. But the the number one mechanical thing I see is that, whoop, there goes the club head. And yep. then the rest of the body starts to move with it. Um and, 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 and so that's a, in a, in a general issue of how golfers are sequence, sequencing in transition, you know, but that's the, that's the, that's the biggest one that, that if you do that, it makes it really tough to take advantage of the training to add speed. Um, and that, what a great thing to think about while you're stacking, improving that transition sequence, you know, so a lot of times, you know, making a faster backswing can help some people, but the vast majority of people actually need to be a little bit more like Cameron Young initially or Hideki Matsuyama, where there's no rush to start down. You get up, you make sure that that that, that the club head, you know, is coming to a stop, lower body, upper body, arms, and then the club head in that that sequence from, from the top down. Um, and we've got some other cues. You can go into the app, and if you swipe, from the main four tiles that you see when the screen loads up, you swipe right to left a couple of times. You get your PBs with all the weights. Mm-hmm. And if you tap, there's a little toggle button. You can go from speed to percentile. And it shows you okay. for your for your age and gender um, where you fit with each of those weights that you're swinging. Right? Okay. Am I in the 95th percentile? That's really fast. Am I in the 40th percentile? That's really slow. And in general, folks that, have high percentiles for heavier weights and low percentiles for lighter weights are not doing a good job getting the speed out to the club. So they're probably casting from the top. Um, everything's, you know, kind of got like a flat backswing. Everything's kind of moving as one unit. There's no stretching in transition. Folks that have uh, high percentiles with lighter weights, mm-hmm. lower, uh, lower percentiles to heavy weights aren't getting enough, what I would say, angular momentum into the system. They're not doing a great job of, of getting speed into the system from the ground. They're not using the ground very well. Maybe they're hanging back, staying on their trail foot. Um, As one example, maybe they don't have very much uh, vertical force under the lead foot in transition. Um, uh, They're not twisting their feet on the ground to create some torque. Um, They're not getting enough angular momentum into the system um, at all, but they're maybe good at getting what speed is in there out to the club. I want, I want to talk a little bit, you mentioned it a little bit with tempo and the kinematic sequence and stuff. And something 
Uh, of course, I'm just being me is very anecdotal, but something I've found very helpful recently is kind of focusing on making a smoother tempo, not necessarily slower, but smoother. What are kind of the mechanics behind that? And would that be helpful for a lot of people? And if so, why? Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, tempo has a very uh, specific definition or it should, that gets kind of conflated with a lot of other things, you know, ratio of downswing time to uh, backswing time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and you can like, let's say your backswings like 0.8 seconds, you know, and your, your downswing time, let, let's say 0.9 and your downswing time is 0.3. So you've got this yeah. nice tempo. Well, if all of a sudden you were like a Sun JM or a Colin Morikawa and you took an extra half, half second, Oh, oh, wait, right. to pull it over the first three feet well now your tempo is crazy it's no longer that three to one it's some wild number but really you haven't really changed that much you know the last you know uh from a distance perspective the last 90 percent of your backswing is still the same you're still in the positions with similar speeds everything's the same yeah. but you know there is certainly something to um rhythm you know, um, w- when you decide to turn on certain muscles and turn off other muscles, you know, and, and, and that can give us this aesthetically pleasing look as well, because it looks effortless. You see stretches at the right time. You see things transitioning in the right order. And we glump that together and say, oh, lovely rhythm and timing, lovely rhythm and tempo, probably just rhythm. We can forget about the tempo because we're not even really measuring it, you know. OK, Um and, you know, I, I wouldn't say you wouldn't look at Sanjay M and say, well, that's or Morikawa or Matsuyama or Cameron Young. You wouldn't say, oh, their tempo's terrible. You know, it's like, right. no, well, at least from my perspective, it looks pretty good. Right. With, from a number perspective, it's not. You just say they have nice rhythm. They're sequencing things correctly. So, you know, like things like a, like the rope drill, like, um, you know, lots of good instructors use that. R- Rob Holding's a big fan of it. Um, Dr. Kwan uh, uses it a lot. Um, and I think that can be very helpful to get a, a sense of, of when you should be turning muscles on and off to move segments. Um, and and it, it, it allows you to kind of relieve a bit of the tension. Tension, you get muscles co-contracting. Muscles that are mm-hmm. trying to move in the backswing direction are still contracting when you're trying to go in the downswing direction. I don't think that's particularly good. Um, so yeah. that will feel very non-rhythmical. Um, right. So I think that, 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 that you know, if, if you are coordinating your segments in a way that, that leads to high club head speed with not um, with a low amount of muscular effort or feeling, it's probably a rhythmical swing. You know, it's going to okay. look like it's got some rhythm and feeling to it. Swings that have high speed and feel effortless are going to be associated with having good rhythm. Um, okay. Um, and that's, I think that's always a, you know, a good thing to have in a golf swing. You know, if, if you can get a reasonably high level of club head speed with less effort, um, it's probably going to be a more repeatable movement as well. Okay. So, of course, one thing everybody is kind of searching for is consistency. At what in mechanics do you see in consistent players that separate them from not consistent players? Well, <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you look at the 
human movement uh, literature out there in science. You know, mm -hmm. I'm constantly looking for a study that says, regardless of the skill or sport, or it doesn't even have to be in sport, it could be in workplace and ergonomic scenario where um, you're like, hey, we want to produce this outcome, me touching this key on my keyboard, you know, what set of joint movements or motions will allow make that end result more repeatable? There's nothing really out there, you know, really? for any skill that says this is the most repeatable way to do it. Um, so that's not particularly encouraging if you're yeah. trying to figure out the most repeatable way to move, move a golf club. Now, there is some stuff in engineering, and I mention it every now and again. There's this thing called the baby boot phenomenon. Um, and it has to do with, um, you know, if you, the idea is if you have a shoe um, mm -hmm. with a shoelace, and this gets into like some chaos stuff with, with physics, and you release this shoe from a particular position and it, you know, kind of swings down, it's going to rotate and um, twist around the shoelace. Right. And there's different initial conditions that you can kind of rotate this boot, this baby's boot, um, and how far you pull it back. And if you rotate it one, twist it one degree, then it's one degree open at the bottom. You close it two degrees, it's two degrees, you close it on. But then you can find these initial starting conditions that lead to complete chaos. So changing things by a few degrees up top lead to no ability to predict what's going to happen at, at the bottom. So there could be some some of that stuff going on. I did some modeling. Um, uh, we probably don't have time to get into it now where I looked at modeling uh, golfers who had impact conditions similar to John Rahm with a lot mm -hmm. of shaftling. I'm using John Rahm because he's an extreme example. He even kind of right. has a lot of lean with the driver um, versus a high handicapper who flips. You know, mm -hmm. so you could create two swings, you know, even the high handicapper that flips, if they've got a decent club head speed, you know, if you made ping man that flipped, you could still create conditions that allows that ball to fly very well and be a PGA tour quality ball flight. Um, right. The same as John Rom. But, you know, that high handicapper that flips probably isn't going to be able to do that, you know, um, over and over again. If you had them at 100 shots, there'd be bigger dispersion. So when I when I model this, and then I can go in and slightly tweak the timings of the muscles. So it's like you got this good swing. Both swings look awesome. And then you can go in and say, right, well, what if this muscle contracted 0 0.00 seconds sooner or had a little bit more force? And you introduce these perturbations to both the John Rom style swing and the flip swing. And the John Rom swing produces more consistent trajectories of ball flight. And I haven't taken the time to go in and actually look at the models to, you know, uh, tease out exactly why. Um, but I should probably do that. Um, so there might be something there, um, in terms of repeatability. If I, you know, um, this isn't probably a whole other podcast in itself, but one thing that, that stands out to me with tour players is the ability to get the center of mass mm -hmm. below the force vector the golfer is applying to the club. So that's a common trait. And that's getting into mechanics that, um, you know, uh, a level of detail we probably don't have time for in this podcast. But that is something that's not really correlated to club head speed, but is a common trait amongst pretty much all tour players. And if there's, you know, if there are tour, tour players that are struggling, they there's certainly evidence to suggest that they've now no longer have this relationship in terms of where the center mass of the club is uh, relative to the kinetics that they're applying to the handle. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's a couple of those things are not really 
solidly tested um, theories, um, you know, in terms of a controlled experiment where you're like, hey, let's, and they're tough to do. Consistency experiments are tough to do where you have a group of golfers and they've got, you know, a certain type of swing and then you have them improve just one aspect of it. And you can say, ha, look, we did this, they improved it. And now their dispersions are, are tighter. That's a very tough study to do. You know, you, you then need to have a whole other group of golfers in a control group where they believe they're getting really good instruction. They're improving something, you know, did, did this group get better because they are now making this new movement or because they just practiced a lot or just a placebo effect because they're now interacting with an instructor. Right. Um, there's so much variability in golf anyway. It would, it's a very daunting. It, did they even, you may have taught them, you know, for four weeks to improve this mechanics, but really did they improve it? You know, yeah. so there's, there's so many layers that make that study challenging to do. Um, I certainly think that um, there's there are things you can do with um, how the club interacts with the ground. You know, so uh, I think there's an advantage, like with the go back to the John Rom stuff, with having your you know a bit of shaft lean um, mm -hmm. coming down, um, so that you know you're uh, you, you know you you've got from a probability standpoint, the club is less likely to enter the ground behind the ball. <laughs> okay. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, you, you can create mechanics that make it more likely to, to have a clean strike. Something that if you're t hitting off a tee, um, it might not be an issue. But when you have that ball sitting on the ground, there's certain mechanics that make it, uh, you give you a higher uh, probability of making good contact. Adam Young has some good stuff on that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Perfect Par Podcast. You can find out more about my guest in this episode and where you can find them in the episode description. If you want to view the entire interview now, you can do so at theperfectpar.com. You can also find out more about me and shorter podcast clips on my Instagram at carter.strout or my Twitter at carterstrout.